Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guest today is former Detective Brett Lee, who worked as a Queensland Police Officer for 22 years, 16 of which as a detective in the field of child exploitation. Brett has been personally involved with the interview, location, arrest and prosecution of hundreds of online criminals and predators. In his investigative role, Brett spent years and thousands of hours using the internet under the guise of fictitious children and adults, both male and female. This unprecedented view of the online world enables Brett to view the cyber world through the eyes of a child, yet stand back and process this experience with the mind of an adult. Brett now runs Internet Safe Education, a business established in 2008. Internet Safe Education delivers training, speaking and consultancy worldwide in the field of digital compliance, including internet safety and cyberbullying. Brett, welcome to the Digital Families podcast. Thank you very much, Leonie. Brett, I guess what most parents really want to know is, and a parent actually asked me this recently and I was surprised to get this question but it is an important question. Parents want to know if their children are really at great risk online from predators or is what you see simply just the worst of the worst, not really a day-to-day -day threat. Look I suppose uh, the first thing for your listeners to, to remember is the internet is a reflection of our physical world. It's made up of exactly the same people so we don't have cyber people, cyber issues real world people, real world issues. It's actually a reflection of the world that we walk around in every day. And I think that's a good way to look at it because when we send our kids out in the morning, maybe to walk to school, we're not thinking in the back of our mind, my child is going to be, uh, that there's a high chance that they're gonna be accessed by a predator on their way to school. But in the back of our mind, I think we've been conditioned to know that predators are and always have been um, a part of our community, people that even though we can't understand it, don't think the same as us. And they're, they're driven towards children um, quite often in a sexual way, which uh, comes down to control. Um, look, I think it's just important that we remember the internet is a reflection of that, that even though our children may not be confronted with uh, these types of people every day on the internet, that uh, these people do make up a part of that internet. So we have that in the back of our mind, like we do in the physical world. Hence, we put strategies in place to reduce those risks. Yeah, so the, I think there's a perception amongst parents that because their children are on a device safe in their home, that they're, they're safe. There's a lot of parents that, that have that sense of they're at home. Um, it's not like going out and leaving the house. So I, I see often people in our role trying to equate the online world with the offline world to give parents a sense of what that really means, like you said, sort of going going out of the house, going to the park by themselves. But I think parents still struggle with that, that whole sort of sense of them being in a danger dangerous situation in their home. Oh, look, I absolutely understand that. Um, 
I mean, we never had a parent managing us with technology, so we didn't learn about the nature of that world, particularly as an adult, what, exactly what our role should be. But look, we have been conditioned um, through all of time for generations that seeing is believing. And um, I think we get a very good context of the world we live in because we can see social indicators. We can see people moving um, about in that world. And mm -hmm. it's all about um, proximity. When I talk to kids, I you know, sometimes I talk about some of the investigations I did and I might say, yeah, and we, we arrested an adult man who was looking to harm children and he actually lived only about five kilometres from this school. And it's really interesting to look at the body language because also the, lo the locality doesn't really matter, um, but mm. that feeling that the danger is close, mm. the danger is real, um, sort of heightens some people's, uh, I suppose, sense of awareness and on the internet, so that's how we've been conditioned as parents to keep our kids in a safe location. And that's the internet now uh, has, I, I suppose, changed those boundaries in that we feel our children are in that safe physical location, being the safest place they could ever be in our home, in their bedroom. So it is just about that, uh, that, that shift because what makes a person dangerous isn't their location. It's actually what they're thinking. And that's, uh, that's what's occurring on the internet. So, look, I can see that there is going to be, through education, I think, this, um, you know, just a change in thinking, particularly by parents, in that the internet is a real world, the dangers are real, even though my child is in my home. So that following on from that, Brett, I think the next question that parents might have is, how can a predator or a pedophile harm my child when they're in a different location and my child is at home? Um, I'd probably just reiterate it. I'll reiterate what I said at the end uh, is that um, this is uh, not really about the physical aspects. It's more about the psychological aspects. And that, I believe that's what predatory behaviour has always been, whether it's online, whether it's in the physical world. So the internet is an extension of that. It is um, predators, which I'll probably talk about shortly, go through five steps. And it's all about developing trust. So it's about the personal relationship. There's a number of ways that people can um, harm children through the use of the technology. Obviously, and we've heard of these cases, and they are the extreme, where initial contact and relationships are developed online, and then a physical world, usually through um, promises uh, uh, to provide something, maybe um, companionship, friendship, or something of a tangible nature, a physical world um, meeting is uh, scheduled or the predator, of course, gets the information he needs, then uh, uh, may get access to the child non-consensually. Mm -hmm. But also it's about uh, manipulating a young person's mind uh, to maybe to create fear, maybe to um, change how that young person operates, where they become angry, they become withdrawn. So... Mm -hmm. Um, there's that type of control as well. With the criminals I arrested, I would say probably at the end of the day, 80% of online criminals who targeted me online, whether they were true pedophiles or whether they were opportunists, would have met me in the physical world. That would have been their end game. Whether they started okay. off thinking they were going to meet a child, about 80%. Some of them just wanted the online manipulation, which of course can harm a child psychologically, but had no intention to actually meet the child. It was a, a, a fantasy world for them. 
So, look, they could do things like um, perform sexual acts on themselves for the children to view, to that would identify a potential victim, to see how they reacted to that, to desensitise the child, um, uh, maybe to have something to hold over the child, that, you know, you've seen this, you've done the wrong thing, if you tell anybody, you're going to get into trouble. Um, so I would say most of them, their end game was to use the internet as the vehicle to facilitate a physical world meeting. And if it wasn't to facilitate, um, just to be specific, it, is it often just to get video or film of the child doing something sexual? Absolutely. Um, mm. Videos and pictures drive child sex offenders. It is core to who they are as a person. They need those pictures and videos. I attended a conference um, when I was with the FBI and um, th th there was a lady who was contracted to the FBI. She's a very clever person. She was a um, psychologist and she was traveling the country interviewing child sex offenders to try and get a feel of their MOs, their methods of operation. Mm. And she said to us as investigators, she said, have you ever wondered why when you arrest a child sex offender and you take possession of their devices have you ever wondered why they never even have a password on their computer mm. that you can get okay. straight into it and they yeah. have on there maybe tens of thousands of videos and images of children being abused she said have you ever wondered why there's never been a password you don't have passwords and i said yeah i, I always wondered oh, well, they should have military grade encryption on there so no one can get yeah. in yeah. she said it's because the pictures and the videos are central to who they are and what they do. It makes the children real. It makes their mm -hmm. fantasy real. Uh, and having a password is a barrier between them and the, and the pictures and videos, and they don't want that. She said, you will never find a hard drive or a computer in the ceiling of a child sex offender because that is, that is a barrier. That's too far away for them. They need to feel oh. close to those images. Okay. So and is it got something to do with normalising it as well so that they can justify oh. that they're, they're doing something that isn't illegal, that isn't um, harmful? Absolutely. Um, oh. Look, I, I've, I've um, been involved in many online chats with child sex offenders when I was pretending to be a child sex offender myself as a detective. Um, so quite yeah. often I wouldn't just be a child, I'd be a child sex offender to try and infiltrate networks. And yeah. um, they spend the vast majority of their time justifying what they do. They, yeah. say, they say parents and police need to go to prison because they're not allowing the children to express their normal sexual desire mm. towards an older male. Um, I've seen those exact words. Actually, that's a, that's a, I've got that letter that that particular child sex offender wrote in my book. So, um, look, they do it for a number of reasons. It makes the child real. Um, it's something they can hold over the child. It uh, helps satisfy their um, uh, sexual uh, fantasies, what they're looking to get. But also it does desensitise the child as well. Yeah, so the pictures and videos are really important. Is it, Brett, are there more of them around or is it just the internet has, has exposed them? It just seems like, to me, it's just unbelievable how yeah. every time I hear about a sting from the police that they've exposed another another ring, mm -hmm. just how many of them seem to be out there? Is that all blown up out of proportion or is that the case, that it just there is an enormous amount yeah. of people Look, out there with it's this? It's really hard. It's really hard to get an exact number because it's something that's uh, it's usually only known when that person manifests that, mm -hmm. that tension. Um, I think because of the nature of the internet, where it is, 
it creates those illusions of privacy and anonymity where certain people had they been presented with the same set of circumstances in the physical world never would have acted against the child whether mm. they thought they'd get caught you know it's the empathy looking into the child's eyes that there'd be a multiple a multitude of uh, reasons why uh, okay. an that would stop them doing it i think the nature of the internet has um, removed some of those inhibitions where they believe they're in a private environment and that a child sex offender has to have privacy. It is crucial. Even in the physical world, they're very careful in selecting a victim unless they're going to forcibly take that person. They need to select a child who they believe they can control whereby that child keeps it to themselves. So privacy is paramount. And I think the internet gives people that, that sense of privacy. Um, I call it the nature of the internet. And look, there's people who I believe we're seeing now online who are opportunists, I call them. They're not particularly going to look to commit an offence against a child, but if they come across a child, they would be prepared to do the wrong thing. But then you've got those whose sexual preference are children. And the internet's just allowed them to manifest it in a far more effective way, I think. I don't know about more. I think we're seeing more because of the nature of the internet. Mm. So how do these pedophiles and predators get hold of children? What kind of platforms do they use? And how do they, how do they pick the one that's going to be the one that keeps the secret? How do they figure that out? Is there, you, you said there's like five, I think you said five, five steps. steps. Yeah, five steps. What, yeah, well, where are they doing this, Brett? On okay. what games and apps and stuff? If parents well, are uh, got to be mindful, and that that would that would fall into the first predatory step. They need to locate a victim. So, in I, I think we're well conditioned in the physical world to know that that organisations that um, allow children to be managed and controlled by adults is uh, a, a place where these people may gravitate to. Now, not casting dispersions on any organisation, not casting dispersions on any occupation. I mean, we've seen it within um, uh, church groups. We've seen it um, in athletic groups. We've schools. seen it schools. Scouts. Places. We, exactly. We've seen it. Uh, these people gravitate to where they get access to children. So mm -hmm. it only stands to figure, even without an undercover internet background, that these individuals won't go to the ABC parliamentary question time website. They will, go where, they will go where kids go on the internet. So that really, any, anywhere where human beings can connect, usually in a public, initially in, in a public um, setting, which would be an online game, which mm. would be uh, social media, mm. which would be um, information sharing sites such as YouTube, um, such as TikTok, where people come together in a group setting. It's there that they can commence to undertake the next stages of the grooming process. So to identify a child, they will go to places such as, um, uh, look, knowing how they operate, I'm going to put myself in their position. If it was me, I would be going to TikTok. I would be going to Roblox. I would be going to Snapchat, Instagram. I'd be going to TikTok. Now, it's not casting uh, you know, dispersions, particularly on any of these programs for this reason, um, but it is saying that they're going to frequent the places where children go. Now, I don't believe that means we kick our kids out of schools. Uh, sorry, we kick our kids off the internet or out of games or social media sites. But it's just having that, again, in the back of our mind as a parent, that because mm -hmm. the app 
logo looks nice because it's made for kids because our um, we wouldn't want to go to that program. Please don't underestimate, I suppose, the depravity of some of the um, uh, minds that walk amongst us. Um, they will go to those places on the internet. Of course, yeah. one, a couple of things that all these programs have in common is there's no identity verification. Um, so people can be whoever they want in these programs. So and they can disappear quickly. So if, yeah. if they get an indication that there's a parent that's discovered them, they can log it all off, cancel accounts and disappear very quickly. Absolutely. Yep. And mm. they will probably pop up somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So what are those five steps, Brett? What are they looking for? How do they actually, because um, this might help parents to understand the sorts of education that they need to give their children because... Mm. Children, whether we like it or not, even if they're underage on games, they might even they might be at a friend's place. Even if you've banned them from being on one of these games at a certain age, say you've got a seven or eight year old, you know they're not mature enough to be able to fend off somebody as clever as a predator. You ban them off that game at home, but they go over to their friend's place and they're playing it over there. And this is situations that I'm very well aware of and heard of. Um, what are the sorts of things that that parents need to be aware of that these predators are using in order to in order to to um, get that sort of end result of what of what they were what these predators are after? Yeah. Look, um, the first step is to identify a potential victim. So that could include you know gender, hair color, age, um, and they will go to those programs to identify a potential victim. Then they need to gather information. So that tells them who that young person is. Um, and whether they would be susceptible to being groomed um, because gathering that information uh, to know who that child is to make them real also allows them to proceed to the next step because they need to, to identify a need or a vulnerability. So they do that through the amount of uh, information that they get in relation to that child. Maybe that child is looking for a father, father figure. Maybe that child doesn't have many friends in the physical world and uh, complimenting that child um, may achieve uh, the fourth step, but they look for a need or a vulnerability. And I think when it comes to our young people, they all have that need. They all have that vulnerability. They want to be liked. They want to feel good about themselves. They, they want to be included. Um, even if it's from someone who's a couple of years older than them, it makes them feel more mature. Um, mm. So that's usually the need or the vulnerability when it comes to young people. Now they move into the fourth step, which is um, developing trust by satisfying that need, filling that need. And what I say to a parent is the person who seems like the most amazing online friend that your child has is the one you need to be the most concerned about. Mm -hmm. Some of the methodologies I would see is where they would, they'd like my photos, they'd include me in games, they would invite me into their groups, they would take an interest in me, they would be a, a person, if they were a very good groomer, um, that I would want to confide in, that I could talk to them about things I wouldn't talk to my parents about, that they mm -hmm. want to promise to give things. That's filling that need or that vulnerability. Um, mm -hmm. Most times, I think parents will be able to identify if that's happening and something's not right, not by going online. I mean, that's good to get an idea of what's happening online, that our kids are safe, but it's how our kids manifest that in the physical world. They may mm -hmm. want to talk about this person all the time. They may mention that they're wanting to give them things. I spoke to a lady not long ago and she said she noticed changes in her daughter. These were the changes. One, her daughter wanted to walk to school on her own. Now, she was in year six. She was 11. She wanted to walk to school on her own. 
She started mm -hmm. to wanting the door to her bedroom closed. She started wearing makeup and getting dressed up and standing in front of the mirror. Now, the mum said, look, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's normal. That's, maybe that's, that's no. normal. Yeah. It, normal. She said, normal. but you know what? Something yeah. in my stomach told me something wasn't quite right. She said, I don't know. Because it was all it was, happening at, maybe because it was all, all happening at once together. or something. Yeah. All yeah. happening at once. And then okay. she said one night, about two weeks after she noticed this, she walked into, because all their devices were out of the um, bedroom at bedtime. She walked into her daughter's bedroom and saw the, um, the uh, you know, the, the old glow under the bedsheet of the um, screen oh, of the okay. iPad, um, master criminals. Um, <laughs> so the mother took the iPad and she said her behaviour was something I'd never experienced before. It was like she was trying to be the adult and bullying me. She said, I, I grabbed the iPad to take it to my room. She said, I didn't panic. I said, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. And she said she could see fear come over her daughter's face. And she was following into the bedroom, actually physically pushing her, trying to get the iPad back. Um, okay. And it turned out she was being groomed on the internet. So the police are currently investigating that. This is quite recent. Um, that's yeah. horrifying because you're right that a lot of parents would see those signs and think oh they're just you know they're turning into a yeah. teenager and might yeah. miss it but yeah. you're saying it was a it was almost like a gut instinct that she had yeah and and she might have been I mean she might have been wrong she mm. might have actually found out that yes it was all just normal sort of pre-teenage yeah. behavior and to think that you, she might have missed it that must have been absolutely gut-wrenching for her it was and of course she felt a lot of guilt and um you know which which she shouldn't i mean it's hard enough being a parent as it is let alone throwing technology into the mix and we're all going to make mistakes but you mm -hmm. know I, I said to her she Thank says God I'm, she a found it. I'm a bad parent <laughs> i said no i said you stopped it you you yeah. stopped it there i said i know yeah. from my experience where that was potentially going it, she was um she'd been exposed to adult men satisfying themselves sexually through webcams um, and they were, they were probably halfway through the grooming process to try and develop trust. So that's why mm. they feel that need or vulnerability. Um, Does, was that, that happening on a, a, a meagle, Brett? Yes, that was... Um, yeah. what, happened is, what happened is a friend of hers from school suggested mm. she check out a website. It's not an app, it's mm. a website, as you know. Yep. Um, <laughs> Omegle. So she goes to Omegle. And within um, two minutes, she's viewing mm. adult men satisfying themselves sexually, multiple video feeds. But then she started getting messages from some of these men telling her how beautiful she was, um, even though they hadn't seen her. Interesting. Um, how beautiful she was and started to make her feel good about herself. Um, and they pushed her from there. They actually instructed her on how to set up a, um, uh, an Instagram account. So that's what they do. They will, they will locate the children in a public place, such as games and social media, and then push them into a more private communication program. Messenger, messenger for kids, um, mm. even social media, because there can be that one-on-one that -on -one connection as well. So for uh, parents, Brett, that, uh, that comes up quite a bit now, Omegle. And, and as you, you and I both know, that platform has been around for a very long time when i first started doing this nearly 11 years ago it was a problem years. i think about 13 years 13 years yeah. and a, a i can hear the parents saying now why is that allowed hmm. when it's so obvious that it's a, a grooming site and that you could go onto this platform where men are 
as you said, sexually satisfying themselves off in front of children. And I keep hearing now, it sort of comes and goes, that site, and it's around at the moment. There's a lot of kids going on there, daring each other to go on. Why is that allowed? Look, you know, as well as I do, that's probably one of the most common questions I get asked by programs. I mean, um, mm. why are these allowed to operate? These yeah. companies, um, some don't operate under any ethical code whatsoever. So we forget that they're providing a program to help people. They don't care. Now, Omegle in particular, Omegle are saying, like a lot of other programs are saying, we provide the platform. And the platform in its purity, there's nothing wrong with it. If people are <laughs> using it for illegal purposes, wow. um, you need to yeah. go after them. And I'll, I'll give you the analogy I give parents. If you buy, if you buy a car and you mm. drive that car and you kill somebody because you drank alcohol, became intoxicated, you can't mm. sue the makers of the car. You sue the person who drove the car. Mm. Um, but if that car was unsafe then there might be some comeback. So I, I can sort of understand where, I think it's because of some of the functionalities of particular programs that it, it can make people predisposed to do the wrong thing. Like Omegle says, no one will ever be able to trace you. No one will ever know who you are. Same as Ask FM. So that gives people with those um, sinister intentions an extra reason to use that program to do the wrong thing because they're being made to believe that no one can ever find out who but I am. But Brett, I, I will take you on on the car analogy. Yeah, we have very firm laws on children driving cars. Absolutely. <laughs> we do. So if even if the parent um, wasn't uh, didn't ban a child from driving a car, if you were saw a child driving a car down the road, not only would um, the police report stop yeah. that from happening, but any other adult driving a car seeing a child would immediately report that to the police. Yeah. Look, I so there's, the problem we have is we don't have the same level of consequences for illegal behaviour on the internet as what's happening off, offline. So comparing the two can be um, really difficult with that. And all we're trying to do in our job is to say to parents, you know what, there's some really bad platforms out there like Omegle, and I'll write that down in the, in the link on the for people that are wondering how it's spelt. Um, it is a bad platform. Please don't go there, <laughs> even as a parent. Even as an adult, be, don't go there. Even as an adult, I do not go there, and I never have. But you can certainly read reviews about it on Common Sense Media and the Safety Commissioner probably have a review that basically say what Brett and I are saying. So you can't just allow your child to download any old app. And again, even if you've got all the devices in your home set up to be really safe for your child, you've vetted all the apps, you know that they're the safe ones to use. As soon as your child goes to a friend's place or they're on the bus to school or even just outside of school, they may be exposed to the contents of that app on somebody yeah. else's device. Yeah, look, I suppose with Omegle in particular um, being a website, so it's <laughs> It's not even knowing, you know, what apps are on, on your phone or on your kids' phones. This That's is a right, yeah. website. And if you've got any form of um, family safety settings, whether it's the ones built into the device, whether it's in the router, whether it's an external product, um, that website should be blocked um, automatically. Well, one... If it's not, mm. it needs to be checked. It's, it, they're obviously don't have an app because it probably would have been banned. In fact, I've got a feeling... 
unless I'm wrong, that it was actually an app at one stage and iTunes banned it. So yeah. by having it as a website, they're not at risk of having it of having it banned and kids all know about it. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important to let parents know, Brett, and I'm sure you do this as well, is we are having this conversation about a really bad website. Do not go to your child and say, hey, have you heard of Amigle? Do no, not do that. Do not do that. <laughs> because if the child hasn't heard of it, they will ask friends about it and they will go looking for it um, and they will have a, a quite a traumatic experience on that. So please they will. don't. And there, will be, there will be issues created nearly instantly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's about being aware of these places and you mentioned quite a lot of platforms there, TikTok, um, Roblox. Minecraft is also an issue, Brett. I've had um, parents come to me about Minecraft as well. Yeah. And one, my my probably my last question to ask you, which is really important, is what steps can parents now take to prevent their child from being contacted? And I don't know, having said that, it's probably more important about parents teaching kids what to do if they are con contacted. How can they tell that the person that they're playing with online in Roblox, dressed up in a cute little avatar, might be an adult dressed up in wolf's clothing that is grooming them. What do parents need to do with their children? Yeah, look, it's, it's important to know that we can't get rid of all risk, as you know. It's, um, it's about yeah. reducing the risk. And there's some very effective strategies that are quite simple. Um, mm. Absolutely firm rules as it relates to, as it relates to devices. Rules not only encourage our child to do the right thing, it reduces risk when it comes to others. One of your yes. rules at home should be, if you're playing a game, that you don't need to share personal information. Because I'll tell you what child sex offenders need. They need information. They need a yeah. child to interact with them and give them the information that they need. So when we put, teach our kids to say, hey, make up a fake you know, username, um, if someone asks you where you go to school or where you leave, even if they offer you information, you don't answer those questions. Mm -hmm. um, look, this will take time to, um, I suppose, to embed in our children whereby they automatically just know, well, I don't need to share or I don't share personal information in the, on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, that can be actually a rule. You are not mm -hmm. to share personal information. Another thing, put firm time limits in place. The less amount of time you're in an environment, the less opportunity there is to connect and uh, to be put at risk. So okay. time is absolutely imperative, time limits. If a child is, is social networking and gaming for five, six hours a day, they are going to come into contact with a child sex offender. Um, it, it's just a numbers game. Uh, the other thing is to uh, allow your child to know that you're the one who they can come and talk to should something not seem right. Their instincts will tell them, because child sex offenders just can't have normal conversations for their entire grooming process. They've actually got to get to a point where they mm. start to engage in a way that's either mm -hmm. illegal or highly inappropriate. Um, mm -hmm. And some kids will just say, oh, you're weird, and they'll leave. Some kids, yeah. this is them selecting a victim, will want to get, get involved. So mm -hmm. I suppose highlighting to, to children that it's really important for them to trust their instincts. And if something mm. doesn't seem right, if something makes them feel a bit uncomfortable or scared, maybe it's a rude word, um, without, I, I suppose, without creating a, a total element of fear, have mm -hmm. them act on it. 
whether it's blocking and deleting that person, depending on their age, because all kids are different ages, they're different personalities, reporting it to the website, or better still, um, encouraging those conversations with us. We will, a parent, I can say, will see things on a screen that a child won't see. For some kids, a predator can say, hey, I've got this free iPad, you know, I've got one for Christmas, I don't need it, give me your address and I'll send you this free iPad. Some kids would be excited by that possibility. If a yeah. parent saw that, they would be very, very concerned. Yeah. So having the conversations um, can outline to us if everything sort of is ticking along, okay? Mm. Um, be very careful of your kids creating very close relationships with online uh, with online contacts. They may want to call them friends, that's not ideal, but always knowing that they still come under the definition of a stranger. So protecting information, um, you know, moving away from that person if, if something doesn't seem right. So look, they're just probably some basic strategies that, that parents could rely upon. Um, staying away, look, I, I always suggest to stay close, if your kids are going to use these programs, stay close to the mainstream programs. Those of those those ones are, you know, that that are on the fringes, like Ask FM, like um, Tumblr, like um, like Omegle. Um, they're they they're um they're fighting for a part of part of the business, and they're going to do what what's ever needed. Like Ask FM, run out of Eastern Bloc Europe, so they're not subject, uh, you know. To, to laws. To the same laws, yeah. To the same laws. So they, they don't have a moral conscience, you know. There's no ethics there whatsoever. So knowing the games that um, are, and programs that are good for our children, and they're usually the mainstream ones. I mean, every program's got the possibility to cause issues in our family. But programs mm. like Instagram, at least they will try and deal with issues, not always to some people's satisfaction. They... Um, you know, are they, you seeing are you seeing um, uh, TikTok being used by like are you hearing of episodes on TikTok where where groomers are getting onto those in large numbers or anything? Yeah, absolutely. How do they how do they actually how do they actually approach kids? Is it through the comments or private messaging? It's generally kids with accounts who are posting um, videos, and okay. they're just little innocuous videos, and the kids are putting it there to be like everyone else and to have fun mm. and to try and get friends and followers and make millions of dollars. Um, but uh, what they're doing, they're um, commenting on those videos. Now, what the videos do, it does make the kids real to them and it can have that attraction. Some of the functions within TikTok can sexualise what's happening. Sometimes there's, um, you know, poor language in there. So they will start to interact with the children in that program um, mm. and then maybe push them to a more... Uh, functional, uh, functionally uh, able uh, instant messaging program. Yeah, um, like Kick Messenger. Yeah, TikTok, it's always, like as you know, it used to be musically. It was always a problem then. There are mm. actual um, reported criminal cases in Australia whereby adults have actually physically harmed children sexually, having met them through musically slash TikTok. Yeah. So it's a very effective grooming app. It's not I used to see, that, but it can be. I used, used to that. see a, a bit of it with the live streaming as well. Um, they right. tightened up the the rules around live streaming on TikTok, and you've got to have about a thousand followers now, unless I'm I'm incorrect about okay. that. But that's the last, yeah. And so what was happening was you could 
actually sign up to get a thousand dollar a thousand followers on your account and they were just bot mm -hmm. accounts so yeah. there were all kinds of schemes for you to get yeah. that 1000 followers mm -hmm. so that you could live stream and when these little kids were live streaming of course they particularly the ones that only had maybe um, 10 or 15 people watching their live stream you could see adult men grooming these kids in real time yeah. Yeah. putting them in physically into different positions like you know do another handstand and talking to kids in real time with yeah. live streaming what live streaming in kids on these platforms is dreadful and in fact if a child has got thousands and thousands of people watching them live stream in a way they're safer because there's more witnesses it's yeah. the the kids that are doing this in their bedroom with no parents around and yeah. they've just got a couple of a handful of followers Talking they to will, them. they yeah, and they will private message as well. Yeah. Those, um, within those uh, programs. Yeah, so mm. it sounds like a very scary uh, world out there, I think, for adults with kids on these apps. But I think one of the important things that you said, which is what I what we talk about in, in every podcast that I've done with any of the providers or any of the experts is having that space creating that relationship with your own child where if there's anything that they're concerned about or worried about that they can come to you and talk to you because it's the kids that that sometimes they're told they're threatened aren't they brett yeah. they're told don't tell your parent or as you said before um or you'll get into trouble and as soon as someone says that to a child online that child should definitely go and tell their Alarm parents bells. straight away because that's 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 the red flag, isn't it, Brett? Yeah. Look, I, I think that conversation where parents say, look, the internet is fantastic. You can communicate, have fun, mm. watch all your cat videos. Um, it's fantastic. But if anything happens, if someone threatens you, if you feel uncomfortable, if you get scared, if you feel concerned, if you think someone's told you're going to get into trouble, if you say anything, I need you to come and just tell me about it. I promise I won't kick you off. I'll just help you fix that problem so you can feel comfortable and get back on and have a good time. Yeah those conversations because there are many ways that kids can connect online in much more safety than using some of these those apps that we talked about and yeah. for parents go to commonsensemedia.org and check out every single platform and app that your child's using and have a look at the reviews in there they're very honest reviews um and they'll and tell you what they it doesn't, it doesn't take, take long, long. and it no. doesn't take long at all just to look up. So if your child comes to you and says, mum, I want to download, I want to go onto a Meagle. Well, you've already heard about it, but go to, to Common Sense Media and read not just the reviews from the official reviewer, but also the reviews from other parents. Keep in mind, there's a lot of fake reviews on Common Sense Media purporting to be from parents and their little kids. And you can tell there's spelling errors and the way that they talk and everything. Brett, it's been great talking to you about all of this. I know this is Thank a really scary subject for a lot of parents. Um, this, and with good reason, um, yeah. because as you said, you know, you, you, you want to do the right thing by your kids. You want them to be able to have access to all of this stuff, but we've got to keep in mind that it's a, it's a big world out there on the internet. And um, unfortunately there are people out there that, that use it for their own horrible reasons. If you could talk to, you know, tech companies or anybody running these social media programs um, about the kids on their platforms, what would you say to them, Brett? Look, I think, um, look, obviously a, a wish list is put identity verification in, but that's never, never ever going to happen in my lifetime. 
Um, mm. But if it was talking to the tech companies, I, I think they really need to invest um, more time and more um, collateral into um, dealing with complaints, into monitoring and moderating, not just through algorithms, but also, I know it may be laborious, it may cut into their bottom line, but to make it safe, I think it needs to have more um, uh, overview by the actual platform themselves and to take, probably step up that responsibility. Yeah, the user generated content on platforms is really problematic. Any platform that allows the users to upload their own um, stuff, change their own stream, names. Or live stream, like you said. Yeah, live streaming is almost impossible at this stage to moderate. Um, Brett, you have a book um, available uh, for people to read about your experiences with what you've done called Screen Resolution. And you've also got some other resources I noticed on the yeah. website available. Can you tell us a little bit about those and where people can get hold of them? Look, Screen Resolution is uh, a book I wrote with a very good friend, a journalist. Um, we were childhood friends and it's all about my undercover internet investigations. So I go through the cases, uh, you know, the offender methodology, how we caught them, the programs they used, um, the court cases, uh, some of the interviews that we had with them, what they said. Um, uh, and it, it's about, but, but it's written for parents. So it has all of the strategies in there that a parent would need to um, put into place or to help identify first, but put into place to reduce risk. Um, and I had some other resources there for parents, just some little videos uh, uh, with uh, some downloadable resources. So that's on my website, internetsafeeducation.com. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, do you have any final words of advice for parents during this time when we're all online like crazy? <laughs> yes, I just wanna look, the first thing I said today was um, it's a reflection of the physical world. We don't keep our kids locked up at home, but we do educate and we play a role. We do that with the internet and get the same rewards. And I'll just finish by saying this, one of the first questions an online child sex offender would ask me is, do you talk to your parents about what you do on the internet? And if the answer was yes from me, they were gone. Conversations are the key. As eSafety okay. says, start the conversation. That is fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Brett Lee. Thank you, Leanne. Um, thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast. I'll have all the links up there on the blog post and on the podcast website if you want to find out more about Brett Lee. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or some feedback on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this podcast on your favourite podcast app. Um, maybe you've got a suggestion for a potential guest. Well, I'm always open to that. Tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects families. <laughs>